On your way to your seat, or if you're already there because, you know, you're obedient, you guys can open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9, and uh, you can get there. I think now it might be, yeah, it's a little, it's a little hot now. There we go. Let's see. We're going to try to find that happy balance, guys. This old, this old Baptist building. How about that? Can you guys hear me in the back? Ashley? Good to go? Drew, can you hear me? Good. Awesome. He's like this. He's like, I wish last Sunday was my last Sunday. Oh, that's so funny. I'm sorry, man. I, we didn't plan that. Okay, we're working on her. She's still being sanctified. Um, that's great. Okay, open up to Nehemiah chapter 9, okay? If you guys can open your Bibles, go there. If you have it on your phone, wherever, okay? And why don't you guys stand with me again? I'm going to read through Nehemiah 9 and uh, just pray and worship the Lord. And then we're going to go right into... Uh, whatever God has for us today, okay? Which I'm aware you're going to find out what it is. All right, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read this. Now on the 24th day uh, of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood, here we go, Chet, this is where I need you. Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, uh, oh gosh, this is the one you messed up. Benai, let's go with that. Sherebiah, uh, Benai, and Chanani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord, their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah, this is really important, right? It's just so important that we get all those names, said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You made the heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him a covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of, of his land. For you knew they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst, uh, went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. 
But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their, their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples allotted to, to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with, the, with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might, not, uh, that they might do with them as they, did, as they would. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards and olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who, were, uh, who warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in, in time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them as saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the, to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many, uh, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of your people's into the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and a merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all of your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law and paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts 
Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Father, thank you so much for this chapter. Help us to see it, understand it in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Hopefully you weren't exasperated by how long that was. It was long, but it's so good. Well, hey, guys, um, I, I was thinking about this week uh, watching, like, my kids. It's, it's funny how we love each other sometimes, right? Do we show love in weird ways as human beings sometimes? Um, men, how do we, we show love for one another? We shake hands, right? It's just the American West way. I love you. I love you, too. We don't say it. It's just in the handshake. That's all we need to say. What about, what about little boys on the playground when they like a girl? What do they like to do? Just push them, punch them, right? And girls actually, they're bigger and tougher in elementary, and so they do the same thing to us, right? And so we go to explain that. I was trying to explain that to Olivia, and like, yeah, he, he hit me. I was like, baby, it's because he likes you. And she's like, what? Right? We have weird ways of showing uh, love to one another. And, and you know what, guys, we don't, it doesn't wear off after elementary school as we continue. We're still weird in the way that we show love for one another. Um, yeah, amen. It's weird that you say that and not women. Okay? Well, hey, we're, we're reading, uh, I'm, I'm very aware, we're reading the Bible, and we're reading the Old Testament, and in the Bible is a story of God's love for us, and I think in a lot of ways, it doesn't look like love to us. Uh, a lot of times when we're reading this and we're looking at this, we have a hard time seeing and understanding God's love, and we go, man, that doesn't look like love to me. I have a different understanding of what love should look like. And so this morning, we're going to be in, obviously, Nehemiah 9, and we're going to also be referencing Nehemiah 10 um, uh, as we walk through this. But this message this morning, this passage this morning, is for any of you in this room, okay, who are like I have been in my life, where you feel like your sin, your life, um, God just can't love you. There's no way he can love you. There's no way he could forgive you. It's impossible. If you're that person in this room, man, this message is for you this morning. But this message this morning is also for you in this room who've also been like me, where you know you're forgiven by God. You know you're forgiven, right? And you're thankful for that. But you're not motivated to follow God, okay? If that's where you are right now, know this. It's okay to be where you are. It's just not okay to stay there. And this message is going to say something about that for you. And then there's a third people in the room that this message is for. It's for you in the room who are like me right now sometimes, where you know you're forgiven and you are motivated, you are pumped, but you just keep going in the wrong direction all day long. Anybody like that? It's like, I'm excited. I want to follow Jesus, but I keep doing stupid things, right? Or I, keep, I think God wants me to do this, and it's actually that, right? And so we're confused. This message this morning is for every one of you who fits in those three categories, okay? And I'm excited to get into it because I think that applies to every one of you in this room. If you think you can't be forgiven, if you think you're forgiven but you just don't feel motivated, or if you're forgiven and motivated and you just need better direction, I think that's everyone in this room. And we're going to dive into it. Here's the thesis statement, okay? It's quite simple. The thesis statement for this morning is this. God's love for us in spite of our rejection of him, 
gives us reason to follow him. Is that pretty simple? If you get that, you're good. You can go ahead and pack up and you can leave. If you don't get it, stick around. Or if you do get it and you want to hang, you can do that too. Obviously, I was joking. So we're going to look at this in three ways, all right? Three different points, and this is for all my type A's. This is for Ashley, okay? This is for whoever you are in the room. It's just you love points, okay? I'm more like a shotgun, less like a rifle, okay? I like to just spray out truth and see how it works. But here are the three points we're going to be going through, okay? Unbelievable power of God's word. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The unbelievable power of God's word. Number two, we're going to look at the unbelievable story of God's grace. We just read it. And number three, we're going to end with the unbelievable opportunity that we have and the Old Testament people had to turn around. You got it? You feel more peace knowing where we're going? Somebody give me something. Matt, appreciate it. Thanks. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to reread them, but they're right there in front of you. What are they talking about? Nehemiah 9, 1 through 5. What you're looking at in those first five verses, as we're talking about the unbelievable power of God's word, what you're looking at in those first five verses is the result of reading and rereading your Bible. That's what you're looking at. When you read those verses and you see what they're doing, you're looking at the result of reading the Word. When the Word of God comes in contact with the human heart, it's like a bat swinging around and hitting the ball. What happens to the ball? It has a reaction. You're looking at the reaction of reading and rereading the Word. What is the reaction to the, them receiving the Word? What do they end up doing? Okay, number one, they keep reading the Word. They fast, my least favorite spiritual discipline, okay, because I like food and I get really angry. They put on sackcloth, which really is, okay, goat skin underwear. That's basically what it is, all right? Does that make anybody giggle? That's kind of weird, all right? They start confessing their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They separate themselves from the local people's. And then they worship and they do all of this loudly. All of it loudly. Not in their closet, not in their little, you know, Christian church outpost secret area. They're loud about it. The word of God hits them and they start doing all these crazy things. Worshiping and confessing their sins out loud. They put on sackcloth. They are fasting. They are reading and rereading the, uh, re the word of God for like a quarter of a day. I mean, they are absolutely responding in what seems like, does it seem like to you kind of in a crazy way? Does it seem, does anybody think that they might be overdoing it a little bit? Well, it's kind of like this. What if I told you that I had some friends, okay, and they pulled up some of the floorboards in their house, they got down to the dirt, they dug a hole, and then they dug 400 feet under the ground to get outside of their fence. Would you go, dude, what kind of friends you got? Right? That's weird. But if you've ever seen the movie The Great Escape, it makes a little bit more sense. In the movie The Great Escape, why were they digging a hole? Because they're trying to escape from a Nazi internment camp. So they dig a hole because on the other side of that fence is what? Freedom. 
How about this? What if I told you I had a friend who cut his own arm off? You go, Greg, you need new friends. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, 127 hours, it starts to make a little sense. Why would a man cut his own arm off? Because he fell down a canyon, a rock came down, literally got stuck between a rock and a hard place, and smashed his arm. If he does not cut off his own arm, what's going to happen? He's going to die. So why is he cutting off his own arm? For freedom. For a life. So when we're looking at the story, and we're looking at what is going on here, what we're seeing here is kind of an answer to those first three categories of groups I talked about earlier. Man, if you're looking, you desire to have freedom from sin in your life, hey, this thing right here talks about it. If you're forgiven for your sin, man, you're struggling with motivation. This thing's here. When you read it, it gives you reason to pray, to praise, to worship, to take steps. If you're in this room, if you are forgiven and you're motivated, but you're like, man, I don't have good direction. What do I need to do? Guess what? This thing right here gives us direction. It tells us where to dig the hole, what direction to go in. All right? When you're motivated, truly motivated, guys, for real life, you can find it right here in this word. I believe it. Here's what, here, you know what, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you don't want to know, I love doing this. If you don't want to know who you are, you don't want to know who God is. If you don't want to know why the world is broken and what God is, has done, is doing, and continuing to do, and is going to do. If you don't want to know any of that, here's what I recommend. Don't ever read this. If you want to know how the world is supposed to work. And what is right, what is wrong? What is a good way, what is a bad way? You, wanna, you just want to keep stumbling in anxiety and depression and confusion and just stumbling in the dark and keep making foolish mistakes. You want to keep doing that? For the love of yourself, never read this. Never read it, okay? So if that's you, you have my permission. You have my recommendation. Don't read this. But for those of you who really do, you're motivated for freedom. You're motivated for life. You want to know what is good, what is right, what is perfect. Then you got to be transformed by the renewal of your mind with this. I get asked all the time, hey, what's going on at Outpost? Right? And they don't just mean the building. When they, somebody asks me that, my interpretation is they're talking about you. They're going, what's going on over there? What are you guys doing? And I always tell people this every time, 100% every time. I say, listen, the thing that is changing people's lives at Outpost, it's not my preaching. It's not our ministries. What I really believe has been changing people's lives here, and if you met some of our people and you're going, man, these guys are different, what I think has changed people's lives more than anything is people are reading their Bibles. It's a, it's a value of ours, right? Members, do we talk about that often? You can read it. People are like, what? I can read it? Yeah. You can read the Bible. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I want to give you guys five rules for reading the Bible. Y'all cool with that? Because I think a lot of people go, man, it's a big book. Anybody? Does this intimidate anyone? Man, it's 2,000 pages. It's got different cultures. It comes from a different language. I don't wear sackcloth. I had to tell you what it was, right? There's a lot of things that don't make sense to us. Okay, so let me give you five rules for reading the Bible. Five rules. Some direction, all right? Here are my rules. I made them when I was 17 years old, okay? And I've lived by them, and they've been such a blessing. And I've added a little bit as we go. So here's five rules for you. Number one rule for reading the Bible here it is. Read every day. Read it every day. Since I was 17 years old, I've read it almost every day. 
Have I missed days? Yeah. So if you miss a day, here's rule number two. Check it out. If you miss a day, no one cares. No one's going to show up in your house and be like, you rotten little sinner. You know what I've noticed for the last 16, 17 years following Jesus? No one's ever done that. They don't. No one cares. I found that the number one reason why people don't read their Bibles is they feel guilty for they didn't read their Bible. It's like, get over yourself. Okay, I missed it yesterday. Okay, we'll read today. Since when could you ever go back to yesterday and fix that? Never. So why don't you just read it tonight? Read it today. Read it every day. If you miss a day, listen, guys, be free. Nobody gives a care. All right? Here's rule number three. Read in a linear fashion. What do I mean by that? I tell this to people all the time. Uh, there's a lot, when I started reading the Bible, listen, I was an idiot and nobody was discipling me very well. I would just go like this and be like, and okay. And I'd read. Next day, and okay. Don't know what circumcision is. That's weird. All right, and so I would move on. All right, so it was just, it was really weird. I would just kind of like bounce here. I had no direction. So what I, I learned was, if you start a book, finish a book. If you start a testament, finish a testament. If you start the Bible, finish the Bible. Okay? Read in a linear fashion. Read through things. Understand what, what you're reading. Try to read through it. Okay? That's my recommendation to you. So if you're looking for ways to read the Bible, read through stuff. It's trying to tell you something. You just got to finish hearing what it's saying. Rule number four, okay? Rule number four is this. Read until you're done. It's my favorite rule. I love this rule, okay? Read until you're done. Who in here is on a, a like, read the Bible in a year plan right now? Anybody? Anybody left from January? Okay. In January, who started this year with a read the Bible in a year plan? Raise your hands high. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Uh, now I am, okay? I'm just kidding. Read until you're done. Here's the thing. My wife goes, you, you got to stop saying you hate Bible in the year plans. I don't hate them. I just think they're dumb. Here's, here, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. If you can read the Bible in nine months, read it nine months. If you can read the Bible in a year and a half, read it in a year and a half. Here's the problem when you set a time limit, okay? Here's what happens. You're reading in John 3, and you come across John 3, 16. And you read that, and it just hits you that day. But your Bible study plan tells you you're supposed to read two more chapters. So you go, God, that really means something. But for this fictitious person who's judging me right now, I better finish these last two chapters. Right? i got to get through this plan. And so you end up ignoring things. There are times where reading till you're done is one short story that Jesus tells you. And you're like, man, that just hits me. There are times where I'm in 1 Samuel and I'm reading of like wars and I can't help but just go 10, 15 chapters. I'm just like, this is awesome. Why should I stop? Because my plan told me to stop at three chapters. You hear that? It's a book. So read it as such. The biggest problem that you, a lot of us, I think, have is that it's got those numbers in it. It's helpful for finding stuff, but it's not helpful because it keeps you, you keep like tracking. Okay, well, I'm three chapters in. That's plenty. God's got to feel good about me now. Read until you're done. Interact. It's God's word. So that's rule number four. And here is the most important rule of them all. Number five, look for God. Look for God. All right? Don't look for you. Look for God. Read every day. If you miss a day, nobody cares. Read in a linear fashion. Read until you're done. And look for God. If you do, what is happening in Nehemiah chapter 9 
won't just be their incredible story of God's grace in their life. It will become your extraordinary grace of what God's doing in your life. I promise you. I promise you. As, to, as John Piper says in his book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, guys, it's not just ink on page. It's not. It is the Word of God, and it is powerful. If you want to begin reading your Bible and you want to begin in Genesis chapter 1, in the first few verses, you're going to see how powerful God's Word is. Because over and over in chapter 1, the first book of your Bible, it says that God spoke, and what happens? Creation. You have to grab materials, bring them together, fashion, create something, and put it into the world. God spoke, and things that did not exist existed. That's the power of God's word. And when you begin to read God's word, things that don't exist in you will begin to exist. You hear me? Oh, so good. Oh, these little antennas are horrible. Let's tuck those. So here's, here's I want to, John 14, 21. I love this. It's so great. Because so many of you in this room, you want to see Jesus. You want to see Jesus manifest himself to you. I'm with you, friend. I'm out there on the streets with you, too. I want to see Jesus. John 14, 21 tells you how to see Jesus. You know what it says? It says, whoever has my word and keeps it, he it is who loves me. This is Jesus talking. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And he says, and Jesus says, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. You want to see God? You get in God's word. And when you get in God's word and you hold on to it and you go, now this is life, I want to follow this. You're going to begin to see Jesus all over you and all over the, your environment. It's going to be amazing. Y'all hear me? Psalm 119.9. It says, how will a young man keep his way pure? I just take out young. How will a human being keep their way pure? What does it say? By guarding it according to your word. Go to verse 11, Psalm 119. It says, I have stored up your word. Think about storing it up. Anybody storing up money in a bank account? It's like you go and you collect it and you put it in a spot. It's like you go and you read it and you collect it and you put it in your heart. And he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I might walk in the way that you meant for all human beings to walk. You see that? The word of God is unbelievably powerful. Listen to me, guys. I was a really dumb 17-year-old, and I committed to reading it more than most of my friends who are 17-year-olds. My life has been nothing but a blessing in the ways that I've respected it and followed it and learned from it. It's been awesome. I have no regrets having read the Word. I'm so glad I did. All right? It changes absolutely everything. And you know what it also talks about? This is my way of transitioning because I have a little word that says transition. Uh, it also talks about the unbelievable story of God's grace. The unbelievable story of God's grace. So let's keep going. So Nehemiah 9, 6 through 37. I'm not going to reread it. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, it's unbelievable what these people do. It's so unreal. What they do is literally what uh, I call a stand and deliver. So when I did my seminary in a year at Watermark Community Church, when I went down there for the Watermark Institute, uh, both semesters that I was there, 
I had to do a stand and deliver at the end of both semesters. And basically what it was is I had to stand with no Bible, Bible to the side. I was surrounded with 15 people, leaders that are respected in my family. And I had to sit and for an hour just get grilled, question after question after question after question after question. Scripture that I'd memorized, answers to theological questions, all these things, just boom, 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 boom. And I had to stand there and just do this in front of these people. And at the end, I had to take 20 minutes to walk through the Old Testament from memory. Okay, not that I memorized the whole Old Testament. But I had to walk through book by book the story of what God had been doing. That's exactly what they do here. If you go back and look, these people, they stand up and they recite Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus, then Numbers and Deuteronomy, and then the Kings, all the way till their day. That's exactly what they're doing. How did they do that? They did it because they read the word, because they read it. And check this out. This is so freaking awesome. 83 times in these 31 verses, they mention something about God. Did you notice how I kept emphasizing you when we read it? Isn't it ridiculous? How many times it says, you did this, and you did that, and this was about you, and you, you did this because this is who you are, right? Over and over talks about you, 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 and describes God. So I want to I read to you 39 things that it describes about God. Check this out. This is awesome. This is what they say after reading and rereading the Old Testament. They say that God is the only God. He's creator of everything. He's preserver of everything. He's worshiped in heaven. One who chose Abraham. He's able to see your heart. He's a promise keeper. He's righteous. He's aware of our pain. He is for his glory. He has power over creation. He has power over his enemies. He leads his people in the day and the dark. He is present. He reveals right living. He prepares land. He performs wonders. He is forgiving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is committed. He helps instruct by the Spirit. He provides for needs in miraculous ways. He is a provider of kingdoms. He's a provider of children. He is good. He's willing to discipline. He's willing to listen. He's willing to provide saviors. He is a deliverer. He is patient. He is great. He is mighty. He is awesome. He is righteous. He is faithful. He is willing to warn. That's what they describe as God. Now, that's an incredible list of goodness, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Amazing list of goodness. Now, I want, okay, I want to say this how I wrote this. You need to hear me say this. This, they come to that conclusion by reading their Old Testament. Listen to me. They came to that conclusion by reading the Old Testament. Okay? So for those of us who understandably in the room really struggle with the God of the Old Testament and being harsh and ungracious and you know, genocidal maniac, as they say. Listen, you might be reading it wrong. Because the people who read the Old Testament, the people who read the Old Testament didn't see him as harsh, genocidal maniac. They saw him as a good, gracious, loving, and powerful God. That's like a, that's a big wow to me. It's a big wow because they saw him as, the, as that in spite of how they saw themselves across the whole process. 
This is what happens when you read your Old Testament very quickly. And I recommend every one of you do it. Read your Old Testament in huge chunks, okay? But also read till you're done. All right? This is what they read and they see themselves. So think about the list they just read of God. God, you have been this. But what do they read about themselves? They read this. But we have been presumptuous, stiff-necked, disobedient, only mindful of ourselves, foolish, unthankful, unappreciative, idolatrous, blasphemous, rebellious, murderous, evil, stubborn, deaf, ignorant, and self-serving. Wow. Right? God, you have been all these great things in spite of us. This is what we've been. Like an ox with a stiff neck. And you try to turn on us and get us in the right direction, and we won't move. We won't budge. We do what we want to do. That's who we've been. The story of God's grace towards humanity in spite of our rejection of him is an unbelievable story. It really is. Because over and over they shout, God, you have been good, but we rejected your goodness. But then you were gracious, and then we ignored it. But then you reminded us of your loving discipline leading to our benefit because that's who you are. You're good. But then we started worshiping these images of cows. So they just see, like, God, this whole time you've been for us, not against us. Man, my, my daddy was wrong. So these Jews, they saw something in the law of God that I think that many of us miss. It's kind of like that movie. Anybody ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? All right? You know, you know what I love about The Princess Bride? It's got that title, but even dudes love that movie. All right? It's a good movie. But at the beginning of the movie, you got Princess but, uh, Buttercup, right? And she keeps ordering the stable boy around. Stable boy, go get my horse. Stable boy, clean out the stables, right? She keeps saying that. And what does he say every time? As you wish, but what is he really saying? I love you. Right? She couldn't see it until she finally could see it. Have you guys ever seen those little pictures and it's like a, it's like really like a bunch of little dots of different colors and you look at it and you go, this is just a mess. It doesn't make any sense. But then when you adjust your eyes just right, something pops out. You know what I'm talking about? That's what they're seeing in the law of God. They've been looking at it, right? And the whole time they've been, it seemed like it was just nothing but restriction. But now it's starting to look like love. They thought it was just looking like abandonment from God. And now it was looking like loving discipline. What was looking like unawareness by God was beginning to look like patience. What was looking like just rituals that they had to obey was starting to be seen as mercy and grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you begin to understand what I'm saying, then you're going to understand. So many things are going to start making sense to you. The Psalms will make sense. The Psalms, a lot of times, don't make sense to me. I'm like, we are worship songs. We steal from David. David didn't see Jesus. Yet we steal from David. How did David know that God was so loving and gracious? Because in the Word, it shows it. In their history, he could see it. So he could write of God's mercy and steadfast love and goodness and grace or something. Because it's been there the entire time. But not only does the Old Testament make sense, so does the New Testament. Galatians 5, right? What is in Galatians 5? It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit makes sense to me when I realize that God has been loving and joyful and peaceful and, and patient and kind and good and steadfast, right? He's been the fruit. So no, duh. If you spend time with a God like that, interacting and listening to his voice and talking, you're going to become what? Loving and kind and gracious and patient. Yes, that fruit's going to rub off on you. 
There's so many things that I was not like my wife when I married her, and now I'm going, oh my gosh, that's my wife. I can't believe I just said that, right? Because we're so similar, and my wife is the same. It's like crazy, you know? And so that's what happens. When we spend time with God, no duh, those things start to happen. Of course, of course, when you start to spend time with God. Guys, listen, God is real, and he really wants to spend time with you. He really wants to spend time with you. In the Bible, guys, listen to me, it's not a rule book. Though it has rules, it's not a fairy tale. Though it's got extraordinary stories. Guys, it's the unbelievable story of God's grace for humanity. That is what your Bible is. In the Old Testament, like Nehemiah 9, 17, look at that in your Bible. It says, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed leaders to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Does that sound like a genocidal maniac? No. And it doesn't sound like any friend I've ever had. That guy is amazing. That's God. But that's not just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Romans 5, 7 through 8. Y'all know this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. Is there a cheat behind me on the screen? Yeah, you're welcome. But it also says, Luke 19.10, why did Jesus come to earth? For the Son of Man that came to seek and save the lost. John 3.16, you know this, guys. For God so loved the world. He so loved whatever your name is, that he sent his one and only son for you so that if you believe in him, you don't have to perish, but you can have eternal life. That's what God has done. Romans 8, such a great passage, such a great passage. Verse 3 and 4, how did he do it? For God has done what the law, weakened by our flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. So let me conclude this little testament, 1 Timothy 1.15, where it says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And I agree that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are all participants. The story of the world is us going, don't need you, but thanks for giving us this rock to live on. And God going, patience and love and sending his son. And then us killing that son and then him raising from the grave and providing the spirit, giving us his word. It's just, it's an unbelievable story of God's grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, okay? And there, there inside of this whole Bible is this amazing, amazing truth that is our opportunity to get back into a relationship with God, all right? How can we have a relationship with God? God tells us in his word, and listen to me. Listen, guys, stick with me. This is where you're going to need that gray matter. So if you're, look, I'm as charismatic as I can possibly be. I'm waving my hand. Stay with me on this. God has provided a turnaround. He's provided something so that all of humanity could have a relationship with him. Bro, let's go look. Okay, this is our third point, unbelievable opportunity to turn around. Here's the opportunity I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to have to build out step by step. So again, Cody... Brilliant, beautiful, wonderful people. Stick with your homeboy for a minute, okay? You can do it. The first thing you need to understand, guys, all right, you have to understand that God's grace and mercy 
are undeserved opportunities. Say undeserved. They are undeserved opportunities. God is not obligated to you or anyone else for any reason. God cannot be forced to do anything by a bribe, by you arguing with him, or by some miraculous work on your part. No effort can force God to do anything, okay? His wrath against sin, which is absolutely right and just, absolutely right and just, it cannot be swayed. You cannot do anything to sway the wrath of God. It can't be swayed. But it can be deferred and it can be satisfied. You hear what I'm saying? You can't sway God's wrath. 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 wrath right? You can't sway it, but it can be deferred and it can be satisfied. Okay? So let me show you why that is true. Okay? So let me show you an image we're going to put on the screen. Let's see, if, let's see if this works. Look at this. Your entire Old Testament is a story that heads towards the cross. The cross motivates everything that's happening in the New Testament. And we in the New Testament who are motivated by the cross are heading towards a crown. Okay? And I'm just using crown as just an example of the kingdom of God, something we're anticipating and waiting. You see this image? Let it burn into your frontal cortex, through your eyeballs. Old Testament heads towards cross. Cross motivates the New Testament towards the crown that God has for us. Okay, let's take that down. All right, so look at this. The first thing you guys got to understand is that your entire Bible is about relationship. Everybody say relationship. Your entire Bible is about a relationship with God. In the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, they are all about people having a relationship with God. The only problem is to have a relationship with God, you have to be righteous. Everyone say righteous. So to have a relationship with God, you have to be righteous. Okay, so there's a problem with that, right? What's the problem? We're not righteous. We're not. It's not hard to come to that conclusion. I'm not beating you down. That's me. That's you. That's everyone. We're not righteous, okay? So that prevents us from having a relationship with God because God is pure, okay? He is what the Bible calls holy, which is just completely pure. There's no imperfection, no shadow inside of him. And so you cannot approach God. It's like you getting in a spaceship and taking off towards the sun. You cannot bear the weight of God's glory. You can't. You can't do it. Okay, so we've got a problem. All right, now, now do you understand that? Let's go to a myth or a misunderstanding that a lot of people have about the Old Testament. A lot of people have a misunderstanding. They think that the Old Testament is about works-based righteousness and the New Testament is all about grace-based righteousness. Do you know what that means? Let me explain it a little bit more if you don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they think that the Old Testament is about doing all these, these rituals and being good. And if you're good enough, you will be saved. But in the New Testament, you just believe in Jesus. Let me tell you, if that is true, then the Jews do not have an opportunity to be saved. They don't. They absolutely do not. There is no unbelievable opportunity to turn around for the Jews if it's based on their righteousness. Why? What did I say earlier? Can God's wrath be swayed? No, but it can be deferred and satisfied. Okay, so 
Let's correct that misunderstanding and let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a phrase here in a second that might be really helpful and it might be good for you to write down, memorize how to say this because it, it might do a little thing for you. Okay, here we go. The Old Testament, guys, is as much about faith as the New Testament. The Old Testament is just as much about faith as the, Old, as the New Testament. It's just that it's kind of like that blurry image. It might be hard to see. So let me give you a phrase that is really helpful, helpful for me. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Do you understand that? Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Inside of this Old Testament, you have to have your eyes adjusted to see and understand the faith, to see that the whole time in the old and the new, God is saying, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you. And it's going to have to happen by, starts with an F and rhymes with eighth. Let's go. Come on. You're with me. So let me show you how this is true. So what you have to understand next, we've, do, we've done some great work. You're, you're in it. Little Bible scholars in here. Now you have to understand how faith works. You get my double meaning in that? Ah, you don't, but let me tell you. James chapter 2, verse 17, this is what it says. I'm going to help you understand the double meaning of what I said when I say you have to understand how faith works. This is what he says. James chapter 2, this is your New Testament, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Say it again. It's dead. Okay. What he means, what James means is faith, true faith, always produces works. Always. So he's going to go on to explain something. Go on a journey with me. Verse 18 of James chapter 2. But someone will say, hold on, you have faith, I have works. Right? All right. And James is going to go, okay, hold on a second. Okay, show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, do you believe that God is one? Do you guys believe in God? Yeah? Okay. Even the demons believe that, and a work is produced in them that is shuddering. That's what he says. And he says, do you want to be shown, oh foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Useless. Throw that garbage out. What a waste. When Christians go, yeah, I've got faith. And they're like, well, I... I can't see it. Where is it? No, no, no. Just trust me. I've got, I've got faith. Just trust me. I'm like, okay. Do you want to be shown, a foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then look what he's about to do. This is so stinking brilliant. He's about to take an Old Testament character and use him as an example for you jokers and show you an example of faith. Watch. Was not Abraham our father justified? That is a legal term which means not guilty. You hear me? Track with me, guys. Am I the only one excited? This is awesome. Listen, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Listen to what he says. He explains. You see that faith, all right, faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. See, because faith without works is useless. Faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. It's a said faith. But it's not a real one. Okay? Now look, look at this. This is so good. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, which is he had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did I say that the whole Bible is about? About having a relationship with God. But we can't have a relationship with God because why? Because we're not righteous. Look at what it says next. It says that he was righteous, and look what it says, and was called a what? A friend of God, which signifies what? Amen. It's just like, what? Faith produced action, which gave relate. But the, look, oh my gosh. James's point, guys, is simple. True faith always displays itself in action. Many of you heard it said that the New Testament is that we are saved by faith alone, uh, or by grace alone through faith alone. You ever heard that? It's true. James agrees. He just says that the faith that saves is never alone. You are saved by faith grace through faith, but that faith is never alone. There's always going to be a result. So now what I want you to do, if you have your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is where we're just going to have more fun, all right? Go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is so incredibly good. This is important for today because I'm trying to show you a beautiful example of turnaround that you're going to walk out of here with. And I'm just, I'm just tickled, all right? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Okay, it's in the Old Testament. You scroll, scroll, scroll. If you have it on your app, sometimes it's the best way to keep up with me is use your phone. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. It says this. It's going to tell you what faith is. Now, faith is an assurance of things hoped for, which means I don't really have it, and a conviction of things not seen. I can't see it. Which basically, what is that? So faith is basically, what, what's the hope in? Hope's in God. An assurance of things not seen is not just God, but what God is going to do. Now listen to verse 2. This is so good. For by it, by faith, the people of old, think Old Testament, received their commendation. That word commendation is so awesome and helpful. It basically means approval. Okay? They get approval. Or in other words, hey, these guys are people I recommend that you look at. And so what's going to happen in Hebrews chapter 11, okay, is immediately after he says verse 1 and 2, he's going to list off this huge, what we call the hall of faith, a huge list of all these people, all right? Let me give you some examples of what he does. He says this, by faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Moses refused to be seen as an Egyptian, choosing to be mistreated with the Jews. Now, do you notice that they're using Old Testament characters and they're mentioning their faith and how that faith led to an action. Do you see that? Do you agree with me? If you don't, go read it. It's right there. All right? He's showing how this faith leads to an action and that faith is their commendation. The action affirms the faith. The faith affirms their commendation to the Lord. So let me give you an image. All right? You want another picture? i give you a picture. Is it going to be up here? All right? Look at this. Old Testament saints' faith led to their commendation. Their commendation led to them being a cloud of witnesses. A cloud of witnesses, okay? So, but again, let me ask you a question. So you've learned a lot. Let's see what kind of math you can work out right now in your brain. All right, listen to this. How do we know that Old Testament saints had faith? How do we know? Because we saw it, right? 
We saw it. So you guys got that. You understand your Bible so well right now. They understand. So by their obedience to the law and the sacrificial system. So let me ask you, was it the sacrificial system that saved them or was it their faith that saved them? Okay. It cannot be the sacrificial system that saved them. In fact, if you're at Hebrews 11 right now, right? Go back to Hebrews 10. He makes it abundantly clear why that wouldn't be the case. Hebrews 10, look at verse 4. It says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Not possible. Go on to verse 11. What does verse 11 say? 10.11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never, what? Take away sins. That's because of what he says in chapter 10, verse 1, which tells us that the law and the sacrificial system are a shadow of an even greater figure. Those are shadows of an even greater figure. What's the greater figure? Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. You're already there. Just read it with me. Look at it. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, meaning he's done. Waiting from that time until his enemies should uh, be made a footstool for his feet when he reigns as king over all. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, which means to be set apart. So we've got another image for you. Hopefully this, we'll see this helps you out. Look, okay, it's kind of confusing looking, but look at this. The Old Testament saints' faith, their faith, which we can see in action, became their commendation. The commendation makes them a cloud of witnesses. That word witnesses really means, a better way of looking at that is a cloud of examples. You hear that? They are a cloud of examples. Don't look at that and read that goes, oh, they're all watching us. That's not the point. The Catholics got that so wrong and messed up. That's why we don't pray to them. We pray to Jesus. That's right. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, all the reformers said, amen. Okay, all right, so great. But look at this. The Old Testament uh, saints' faith, as they walked out the sacrificial system shadow, their faith led them to walk in it, okay, became a commendation. That commendation finds its confirmation in what Jesus did on the cross. And because of that, they become an example to you New Testament people of faith. Now let me tell you why this is so incredibly important. Because listen to me. Listen to me. Old Testament people were saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did. And you are saved by grace through faith what Jesus has done for you. They looked forward. You look back. And all of us are saved. You want some proof? Look at this. Okay. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Look at this. These all died. This huge group of people. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar. You see? They looked forward, trusting in God, in faith that God would rescue and redeem them. It wasn't the sacrifices. They did the sacrifices because they believed in God and wanted to obey him. They believed in God so that they, and so they obeyed. 
but they knew God would do something. Now look at this. Look at verse 16 of chapter 11. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you know your New Testament tells he's preparing for you a city? Guess who else is going to be there? Jesus and some people from the Old Testament. You know that? But they're there not because Noah was a good guy. They're, not, they're there not because Moses was a good guy. They're there because they believed and entrusted their lives to God. Okay, okay, uh, look, this is, this is amazing. Go back to Nehemiah's day, and we're seeing something ex- extraordinary. We're seeing a whole group of people who've never read this word suddenly reading it. And that word is coming in and smashing into their heart. And like a bat that hits a ball, it's just exploding in this reaction of obedience. But that obedience is not what's about to save our Nehemiah brothers. It's their faith in God and their trust that God and his word are right. Because they trust God, what is their incredible opportunity for turnaround? It's not the sacrificial system. It's not the walls. It's not the building. It's not the priest. It's not the temple. It's not any of that. Their incredible opportunity for turnaround is God himself. It's God himself. And they believed that God would do it, even if that would come 450 years later after their death, that what God promised would finally be fulfilled. The fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the great sacrificial system is all finished in Jesus. You guys think Jesus is amazing because he saved us and made the church? He saved for all time those who trust in God. Jesus is better than you thought he was. He's amazing. Do you hear me? So... Nehemiah chapter 9, chapter 10. I just took you on this amazing journey. Hopefully you learned something and it's helpful. But here's what's crazy. You don't realize this, right? And you need a little help, so let me tell you. Nehemiah 9 and Nehemiah 10 are actually a record of the Jews making an ancient sovereignty treaty. All right? It's called, some people call it a Hittite treaty. What's a treaty? It's an agreement. And so it's a sovereignty treaty between two sovereigns. So usually two lands will make an agreement. So they're making an agreement between them, not sovereign, with God, the sovereign. And they're making a treaty. So here's how treaties usually work. What they usually did was they would recount of history. Then they would offer up stipulations. Here are the things that we will do. Then they list off, here are the witnesses to this treaty. Okay, here are going to be the blessing, the curses, if we obey or disobey this treaty. That's exactly what they're doing with God right now. How insane is this? All right, so what do they do? Nine verses seven through 37. It's the history of all of the relationship they've had with God, which has been what? Super one-sided. Super duper one-sided. And then in chapter 10, 29 to 39, they list off the stipulations. Here is what I, we're going to commit to do. Because of what you've done, God, here's what we're going to do. And so what they're going to do, they said, we're not going to intermarry with other groups around us, right? That's important for their story. They're going to keep the Sabbath. They're going to forgive debt every seven years. They're going to give to the house of God, and they're going to give of their first fruits. And they say, we're not going to neglect the house of God. So that's what we're going. Here's our stipulations. Then if you look at the beginning of chapter 10, what do you see? Something I clearly avoided reading. A list of witnesses. A bunch of people go, here's our Levites. And Nehemiah's name is on that. They're saying, we are witnesses that this people want to do these things because this is who you've been. In 
And so, what did I say? A cloud of witnesses is really what? A cloud of faith examples. And our Old Testament brothers today, this morning, are going to be faith examples of, to us of how to walk out a commitment to following God because we want to. So in every one of your seats, all right, not everyone, but somewhere around you, there are little sheets of paper. You guys have those? Grab those sheets of paper. Some of you have pens, some of you don't have pens, okay? If you don't have pens, okay, you could do this later. If you do have a pen, this is something you could do now. So I want to invite the worship team, wherever you guys are, y'all can come up, come up here and uh, kind of get ready. What is on that sheet right there? All right, it's not very fancy because we're cheap. We're on a budget. But what is right there is for you a treaty. What's the first sentence that it says there? I have been. Or what does it say? I have. And so what I want you to do is, guys, I'm inviting you. You don't have to do this. But our Nehemiah brothers and sisters serve as an example to us of faith. And in faith we go, hey, I have been. And for me, what I would fill in in this space would be this. I have been selfish. I have been an addict of pornography. I have been lustful. I have been unkind. I've been impatient with my children. I have been idolatrous. I have been rebellious. I uh, ran for you and chased after life and idols like weed and girls and, and athletic acclaim, and I tried to find all my life, and I rejected you. I did not want to believe in you. I did not want to follow you. I didn't want to do anything that you asked me to do. I wanted to have my own way. Because of that, I was kicked out of military school. I was left, and I became suicidal. But I chose to do that. I have done this. But then in the next second, what's the next three words? But God has. You know what I'd put? Say, God, in spite of all that I've done, when I was isolating, you chased me. When I didn't want to do anything you said, you brought people who came and showed me your word. When I thought you were unloving, you came to me and you showed me your amazing love and grace. You rescued me. You redeemed me. You have been mighty. You've carried me. You've provided for me my entire life. You've loved me. And, I would and that's what I want you to do. List off the ways that God has been good and gracious and kind. How this relationship and this pursuit has been one-sided. And if you can do that, the next thing I want you to do is fill out the section that says, so I will. What a lot of us do sometimes is we, we put it all on God like it's, it's all God's fault if we're not being obedient. We say, God, help me be patient. God, help me be obedient. God, help me do this. Help me do that. And what we don't do is go, God, you say this in your word, I am going to choose to do this. You say you're loving, I'm going to choose to believe that you're loving. You say you're going to provide for me, I'm going to choose to believe that you're going to provide for me. You say to be generous with my time, talent, treasure, I'm going to choose to do these things. And so right there, I want you to write down what you will. Based on God's love for you, what, what are you willing to do with him? And if I think about it, I look at this word, when I look, about what God has, look at what God has given me, what can I hold back from God? What can you hold back from God? And here's the last thing I want you to do, because... It's one thing to do this in your little private chair, feel real good about yourself, real Christian, right? It's a different thing to invite in witnesses. And so if you're on a community, you're a member here at Alpha's Community Church, there's witness, witnesses around you, people who can stand with you. I want you to take this, if you fill this out, take it to your community team this week and say, guys, here are the things I want to commit to do. This is what I have done. Here's what God has done for me. And here's what I want to be about. And I want you guys to put your name on this, that you're going to help me walk this out. Because guys, as Christians, this is who we are. We know God's word says in the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. 
We're not called to do this alone. 52 times in your New Testament talks about the one another's. And there's only a reason why we can, the only way we can obey the one another's in scripture is if we are with others. So if you really wanna do this, do it with courage and invite others in. If you're not a member at Outpost, grab those believers around you who are gonna support you and care for you and have them come and say, hey, would you sign this? This is what I wanna be. This is what I wanna do. This is how I wanna pursue the Lord. Would you help me? If you'd have nobody like that, I would love to have a conversation with you uh, about what it looks like to enter into a community of people who are filled with the gospel and who wanna love you, they wanna support you, and they wanna be these kind of people for you, okay? Why don't you guys stand with me? You can fill this out now while we sing, or you fill this out when we leave. Let's pray. Let me pray. Lord, I know that there are people in the room who they've learned a lot this morning. And, um, and there's a lot of us who've been reminded. There's some of us in this room that think that we can't be forgiven, and for the first time we're seeing every one of our sin truly can be forgiven because Jesus... In one single act, one sacrifice, you completed for all time a covering for sin. There's someone in the room that we, we know we're forgiven, we've not been motivated, and we've just been reminded that we can choose to go to your word, to read it, and walk in it. But we just need some help. And there's some of us in the room, God, who are, we know we're forgiven, we're motivated, we want to follow you. We've just been reminded that the direction is in your word. And you've provided for us men and women around us who could support us and care for us and, and hold us accountable all along the way. Give us now, I pray by your spirit, give us courage to choose to do this because of who you've been. And right now, Lord, we want to sing of who you've been in Jesus' name.